Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast, where we connect trending evidence-based pharmacotherapy to your pharmacy and medicine practice. Today's conversation is a true game changer in the care of patients with pancreatitis. Tell us more, Jeff. Hello, and welcome again to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome to the show. This is the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. We really try to give you guys the latest information, whatever type of provider or, or practitioner you might be, whether that's physician or pharmacist or nurse practitioner or physician assistant or just interested observer. It doesn't really matter, I don't think, but uh, uh, we try to give you the latest pharmacotherapy information, uh, be it new studies, new guidelines, uh, something from the FDA, whatever it is to try and make uh, your practice, the latest evidence-based practice when it comes to medications. Thanks for listening. If you're a first-time listener, uh, thanks for joining us. Long-time listener, thanks for staying with us. Uh, please, uh, where you get your uh, podcasts, uh, please, we ask that you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, but most importantly, head over to ceimpact.com, which is the uh, producers of our show, and take a look at some great CE offerings they have for very reasonable prices. So today, we're going to do another inpatient talk, and uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm borrowing a, a note from our Internal Medicine Journal Club here at at the hospital I practice at. Uh, I had not heard the study had just come out and it is a potentially practice changing paper. So I thought it, it definitely worth us discussing on the podcast and it has to do with, with fluid resuscitation and pancreatitis. So again, this is going to be a little more inpatient discussion than outpatient discussion, but certainly not rare. Um, it's a rare case on either my medicine or my ICU services where I don't have a patient with pancreatitis. It's very common. Um, and in the United States, as we all know, uh, most common cause is chronic alcoholism, but uh, certainly there are other causes such as uh, hypertriglyceridemia and gallstone disease and, and occasionally even drugs. And, and so there, there's a number of reasons why somebody might get pancreatitis. The problem is, of course, that severe or moderate pancreatitis can be life-threatening. Um, it also has a, a host of other diseases associated with it and, and problems associated with it. And it actually develops in about 35% of patients who have acute pancreatitis will go on to develop a moderate, severe, severe disease. And they can get, that can cause pancreatic head necrosis, which can be fatal. Um, it can cause uh, uh, abscesses that are walled off to be formed. Um, we call them plague mons. Um, and again, you know, it's just, it's, it's a pretty bad disease and, and it certainly can be bad. And so, um, you know, I've seen plenty of pancreatitis in my career and, you know, one of the, the staples of therapy ever since I first came out of school um, now almost 30 years ago was, you know, hitting these people with tons and tons of fluid. And, and the reason is, is that pancreatitis uh, causes a lot of third spacing of fluid. And so um, fluid enters the extravascular space and you get regional hypoperfusion, and that in animal studies anyway, was correlated with an increased risk of necrosis and death. And so again, for, for decades, uh, the first therapy for, for pancreatitis was just blasting people with liters and liters of fluid. And as like everything else in the world of inpatient medicine, uh, the surgeons were right all along. And uh, for a while, for many, many years, we used normal saline. And now I think we're basically finding out that anytime you've got to really hit a patient's heart with uh, fluid resuscitation, that lactated ring is probably the preferred uh, fluid for that. And that there are studies that now suggest that lactated ringers really should be the, the, the fluid of choice for fluid resuscitation in these patients and, and almost everybody. So, you know, we, we hammer people with, with tons and tons of fluid. And that, again, the, the standard of care for, for many, many years. But recently, there's been a few studies uh, that have suggested maybe we don't need to be quite so aggressive with, with fluid resuscitation and that, you know, moderate fluid resuscitation may actually be just as good or better than uh, aggressive fluid resuscitation. 
there were a couple of studies uh, that were kind of small that kind of suggested that rapid fluid expansion was associated with decreased survival in, in patients with acute pancreatitis. And then there was another small randomized control trial uh, that uh, found that patients who had an initially low risk of moderate severe disease shows quicker improvement with vigorous hydration than moderate hydration. So we had kind of a, a plus study and a, and a couple negative studies about aggressive fluid resuscitation. And whenever you see that, there's going to be meta-analyses out there. And, and uh, the ones that have come out have basically shown when you add all the studies together, there's a lower incidence of adverse effects and lower mortality with uh, moderate resuscitation compared to aggressive hydration. But again, none of this has been really studied in a large randomized controlled trial that was really big enough to show a difference if one existed. And that's where the waterfall study came out. And again, like, like all these studies, they have to kind of stretch to get to get that acronym. Um, the, the full title is the early weight based aggressive versus non aggressive goal directed therapy resuscitation in the acute phase of acute pancreatitis, which is difficult to say, uh, 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 five times fast. Um, but anyway, though, the waterfall study was was again, probably uh, the largest randomized control trial ever to really examine the uh, effect of, of aggressive fluid resuscitation compared with moderate fluid resuscitation in patients with acute pancreatitis. So it was a multi-center open-label parallel group study that was done in four countries, India, Italy, Mexico, and Spain. So it is worth noting it wasn't done in the United States. Uh, uh, consecutive patients over age 18 who had been diagnosed with acute pancreatitis, there is a diagnostic system called the revised Atlanta classification, which has pretty much the symptoms you'd think, abdominal pain, uh, serum amylase or lipase greater than three times the upper limit of normal and imaging signs of acute pancreatitis. Um, it, it is worth noting that most everybody I know uses lipase over amylase just because it's more specific for, for pancreatitis. But anyone who basically uh, met the, the revised Atlanta classification were assessed for eligibility. Uh, they did, uh, patients uh, who were in the study had to present to the emergency department no more than 24 hours after abdominal pain onset and received a diagnosis no more than eight hours before enrollment. And patients who met the criteria for severe or moderately severe disease at baseline, we had baseline heart failure, uncontrolled hypertension, hypernatremia, hyponatremia, hyperkalemia, hypercalcemia, uh, chronic pancreatitis, chronic renal failure, or chronic liver disease were excluded. So, uh, you know, one of the big uh, uh, things to think about in this study is there were numerous exclusion criteria and uh, exclusion criteria that unfortunately will make external validity difficult because many of these patients do have uh, hypertension. They do have hypercalcemia or hypocalcemia. They do have chronic pancreatitis, um, they may even develop acute kidney injury, or, or a lot of them, because they have alcohol abuse disorder, they do have chronic liver disease. So again, it's, it's going to be a little bit difficult to apply the, the results of this study, uh, I think, liberally. And I think people who want to apply the study are really going to have to take a look at the exclusion criteria and make sure that matches what you have. So as far as the methods are concerned, it was an open label study, because there's no way you could do this blinded, of course. And they randomized patients to two arms, the aggressive fluid resuscitation arm and the modded fluid, fluid resuscitation arm. So the aggressive uh, fluid resuscitation arm was a bolus of 20 mils per kilogram, basically as fast as it could go in, and then continuing infusion, and this is all with lactated ringers, at three mils per kilogram per hour. So let's take a step back. In, in my world, uh, 100 kilogram patients are not unusual, and so uh, uh, to see a bolus of two, 20 mils per kilogram would be a two liter bolus as quickly as it would go in, um, and then uh, running basically at 300 mils an hour of the fluid. So again, very aggressive fluid resuscitation. 
Whereas in the moderate uh, flu resuscitation, uh, there was a 10 milligram per kilogram bolus. If the patient was hypovolemic, but if the patient wasn't hypovolemic, they just started an infusion of 1.5 mils per kilogram per hour. So again, in a 100 kilogram person, that'd be 150 mils an hour. So big bolus in the aggressive fluid arm, followed by an aggressive infusion rate. Uh, whereas in the moderate flu resuscitation arm, many patients didn't even get a bolus, and they just started them on about 150 an, uh, an hour of lactated ringers. At three, point, at three hours in both arms, they did a safety checkpoint to see if there was fluid overload. And if it was, they, they stopped the infusion or decreased it. And then at multiple time points throughout the next three days, they assessed basically whether the patient was hypovolemic, normal volemic, or hypervolemic, and made adjustments based on that. So if they were hypovolemic, they gave them another bolus. If they were normal volemic, they basically just continued what was going on. And if they were fluid overloaded, they decreased or stopped the infusion. They also stopped the infusion once patients had uh, oral feeding uh, for over eight hours, which is something else that you could do a whole podcast on is the notion of early versus late feeding in, in pancreatitis patients. And I think we have pretty good data now that shows that waiting and waiting and waiting to start feeding these patients doesn't benefit patients and actually may be harmful. So I was glad to see that they based aggressive about uh, giving these people food to see if they could tolerate it, basically. Um, so that's kind of how, how the design of the study was. The, um, they did look at a number of outcomes. The primary outcome was moderate development of moderate, severe, severe acute pancreatitis, again, according to that revised Atlanta cl classification. Um, they also looked at, an, at numerous secondary outcomes, including organ failure, local complications, uh, hospitalization, length of stay, uh, intensive care unit stay, number of days in the ICU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that, those are the main uh, efficacy outcomes. The main safety outcome was the development of fluid overload, which uh, was basically what, with either symptoms or imaging, they could tell that the patient was fluid overloaded. They also had to rule out uh, the acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is actually um, a not uncommon complication of severe pancreatitis. And I've seen people, people develop that many times over the years. So the stats, um, they actually uh, did a power calculation and felt that they needed a sample size of 744 patients. That would give you an 80% power to detect be between group differences of 10 percentage points. So basically a decline of absolute decline of between 35 and 25% of, of the outcomes, basically. They used all the standard statistical tests. So I didn't see anything in, in the in the stats section that was unusual or weird or anything along those lines. Um, uh, and then when we get, and, and basically, you know, in fact, most of the studies uh, that they are statistical tests they use are actually pretty common things like students t tests and stuff like that what did they find with this study what were the results well, we're going to talk about that right after our uh, message from ce impact ce impact ce memberships help you connect your learning to practice with unique education like this podcast go to ceimpact.com to learn more so we are talking about the waterfall study looking at aggressive versus moderate fluid resuscitation in patients with acute pancreatitis. And the results of the study uh, were interesting, but again, I think uh, it's one of those, you know, uh, we have an asterisk by the by the results. You have to kind of take that in, in, into account. Uh, they basically enrolled a total of 676 patients with acute pancreatitis. So this study was underpowered. And I think that's a, that's a crucial thing because they were supposed, to, they were wanted to get 744 patients and they actually did not get that. And so uh, they ended up with 249 patients assigned to the aggressive group and the rest assigned to the moderate resuscitation group. Taking a look at the characteristics of the patients, they're pretty much the patients that I would see with, with, with pancreatitis. Mean age was 56. About half of them were female. One big difference was that gallstone causes of pancreatitis were actually higher than I would probably see and I, and I would guess would see in the U.S. with about two-thirds of patients having a gallstone uh, cause of their pancreatitis, where I would argue in the United States uh, it's much more likely to be alcohol use disorder. Uh, the other big chain difference, I think, between that and 
and, and an American population is that the mean uh, body mass index was 27. And in fact, the high was only 31. And so again, that's something that would be a lot different than, than what I would see. Um, other than that, um, they had pretty much uh, 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 equal uh, numbers across the board and weren't anything really unusual that you would see. None of them had acute kidney injury on, on, uh, on a presentation. Only about a four of them met SERS criteria as well. So again, I think most people would consider these patients to have you know, mild uh, uh, pancreatitis, but enough to obviously to be to be uh, often uh, either assessed or maybe even uh, admitted to the hospital to take a look for, for again, for, for fluid resuscitation. Um, as far as the primary outcome, there was actually, it actually occurred in 22.1% of patients in the aggressive resuscitation group and 17.3% of patients in the moderate resuscitation group. So um, it, the, the primary outcome of, of going on to develop moderately severe, severe pancreatitis was less in the moderate resuscitation group than in the aggressive resuscitation group uh, that uh, did not reach statistical significance. So there was no statistically significance between the two at point uh, P of P 0.32. Organ failure occurred in 7.4% of patients in the aggressive group and 3.9% of patients in the moderate group. That also uh, did not, uh, didn't have a statistical difference between the two. And basically all the other secondary outcomes really followed that pattern where uh, the, the um, organ failure and uh, ICU stay and all that other stuff was higher in the aggressive arm than it was in the moderate arm, and none of them uh, had a difference uh, statistically between the groups. There was an overall length of stay of, of one day favoring the moderate groups. So basically, patients uh, with the aggressive fluid had, on average, an, an extra day of stay in, in, in the hospital compared to the moderate group. And then as far as patients developing a flu, uh, a fluid overload, as you might imagine, uh, that number was significantly different um, um, between uh, the two. 20.5% uh, of patients in the aggressive arm uh, developed fluid overload compared to only 6.3% of patients in the moderate arm. So, um, you know, the, the authors basically, you know, describe this, and, and I agree with them that this is, is you know, a large uh, a paper that, you know, really tried to, to take a look at this issue that has been the standard of care for decades. It's this largest study ever done. It was a randomized trial. I think they used good outcomes and, and outcomes that were, that were, you know, accessible and, and uh, have been validated in, in other papers and stuff like that. So it really is potentially a practice changing paper. And, and it is certainly possible that we will move to a more moderate uh, fluid resuscitation strategy in patients with, with, with acute pancreatitis. Now, again, there, there are some, some caveats to that. Um, uh, it, it is worth noting that, that this was not a, a, um, uh, this was a, a superiority study. It was not a non-inferiority study. And they did not find a difference between the groups in any of the, of the primary or secondary outcomes. And again, remember the, the paper was underpowered. So uh, it, they were less able to see a difference between the groups if, in fact, one existed. Now, um, numerically, they all favored the, the the moderate resuscitation group to the to the aggressive resuscitation group. But you know, again, when I kind of put on my researcher hat, I'm like, well, you know, they they really you know can't say that they were equal to each other, you know, statistically because they really weren't powered to do so. And the design of the study wasn't a non inferiority study. But again, numerically, um, they all uh, seem to to favor the the moderate resuscitation group. And certainly from a safety standpoint, there was no doubt that that uh, aggressive fluid resuscitation was actually not surprisingly associated with significantly higher incidence of fluid overload. So, you know, as a whole, I think you can take from this that, you know, an underpowered paper with a, neg a no difference result, however, did find that 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 fluid resuscitation was was higher, or was associated with a higher risk of, of overload and had an extra day um, uh, stay 
in, in the hospital. And certainly, uh, you know, I think throughout the United States, uh, hospital beds are now pretty prime real estate. And if, if that in itself is enough to get patients out of the hospital a day earlier, you could argue that, that even if everything else is kind of, you know, all, all points being equal, that that would be enough to really consider, you know, using a more moderate strategy. So, you know, I, I, again, this is, has the potential to be a practice changing paper. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the next set of guidelines from either the uh, AGA or the ACG, which are the ones who usually come out with guidelines on this to see if there's a big change in what they recommend. But even now, I know some some clinicians who have read this paper and, and feel like, you know, that that's something they're going to try and do in, in, their, uh, in their acute patients who aren't severe. And again, kind of meet this, these numerous exclusion criteria, which is something I think we really have to take a look at before this becomes, uh, you know, widely applicable to a lot of patients. So that's it for this week of uh, Game Changers. Um, again, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, and head over to ceimpact.com. Uh, we can get uh, CE just for listening to this, this podcast at a very reasonable price. We will see you next week. But until then, remember, time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. We'll see you then. CE Impact members, don't forget to claim your CE for today's episode. If you aren't a member, sign up today to get CE each week just for listening in. See the show notes for more information. We'll talk to you next week on the Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast.